0: Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to take a moment to tell you about my upcoming program creative woman set free. So I've just been wanting to initiate a group of incredible souls, incredible women into opening their creative channel. And this is really the channel of love. It is the channel that moves from the throat into the heart and into the womb, the pussy. And so A lot of us have a lot of tightening or blockages in that channel, and really it can hinder the expression of our soul in the world. To me, there's an emanation that arises from within, from deep, 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 deep deep within. Sometimes we pull from the outside first when we're like, who am I and what am I going to express? But in this class, we're going to really source from deep within, we're going to find the m- magnetic and unique special thing that only you have. So this has been so important for me. It's like, what is that particular bouquet kaleidoscope of my soul? And how do I express that outward in the world? I want to help you find that so that you don't have any questions about it. So that you actually have a direct link down and in To your heart and soul and you can feel what it wants to express in the world we're gonna have so much fun there will be ritual there will be spotlight coaching there will be um anecdotes from me about my epic fails and epic wins and myths and stories and it will be a beautiful journey so come on board it's gonna be awesome i can't wait to have you hi my loves Okay, today's podcast is kind of like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it's sex, drugs, and spirituality with Adriana, Adriana Rizzolo. And I'm not sure if it's my Mars and Scorpio. I think we talk about our astrology, but there's something where we just come together in that transformational fire. And I love how open and raw we both get in this podcast. And I hope you enjoy it and drink it up. Hi, everybody. Today on the podcast, I have... Adriana Rizzolo, which I just asked her for the pronunciation of that because I lived in Italy in college for study abroad. And so I would say Adriana Rizzolo. Yes, it feels good. <laughs> say it. Hey, girl. But she's from New Jersey. So, but I imagine your people are Italian, right? Yes, they are. My my paternal
1: um, ancestors are Italian. Yes. And I'm actually going to Italy for the first time in my life on Sunday.
0: Oh my God. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Great. Um, well, I have so many questions for our time today. I feel like this conversation has been building. I think over the last six months we scheduled and canceled at least three IG lives. (laughs) 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 And we're like, we know know there's a conversation waiting to happen. And we have a lot of things to talk about because when we send voice notes, sometimes I'll just like ramble and then there's this, and there's this. Um, So we have a container for it today, and (sighs) we have this amazing audience and community of people listening. So I'm really excited, all of you, to um, just introduce you to Adriana's work, if you don't know it already, which many of you may know. Her work is just super um, deep, juicy, somatic, embodied, uh, raw, I would say, um, transparent, like Mm -hmm. generous. And I think in in the climate and the online kind of, what do you call it? So I almost said circus. (laughs) I meant to say like, what? It is a circus. I know, but I was trying, it is. I was trying to say like the online, like, I don't even know, not community. There was another word that wanted to come out, but the online circus, (laughs) spiritual antics. Adriana always feels like a breath of fresh air. Mm. but like a fire breath, (laughs) a breath of fire, (laughs) a fresh breath of fire. It's not like a calming, soothing breath. I mean, I mean that in a loving way. It's a, it's a wakes you up. It's an energy that wakes you up. So anyway, tell us about you. And I want to know, what did you do before you were a healer, before you were writing about your healing journey? I realized like, I don't No, sometimes i just assume people have always been teaching publicly or coaching publicly or writing publicly but a lot of people have like a previous life so tell us well i definitely was not doing this before i was i was like
1: in many ways i feel like i was the opposite of what i do now um and nobody people paint us a
0: picture paint us a picture
1: Yeah, the the unexpressed is basically like where I lived. I lived in a very unexpressed state, but I was a hairstylist um, in New York for many years. um, I began doing um, working in hair salons when I was 15 in New Jersey, where I grew up. And that kind of carried me through college. I went to college in New Jersey and I just kept doing it because it was easy. I was always kind of interested in like I think naturally um connecting with people and I moved to Brooklyn and working in a hair salon and it also kind of fit into my lifestyle of like sex drugs you know rock and roll right. kind of vibes what, like it,
0: What it, hair salon was it in Brooklyn?
1: I worked at a place called Woodley and Bunny in Williamsburg. Oh, yeah. Um, I definitely got my hair done there once. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. the first place I worked at in Brooklyn when I moved. Yeah. I moved to Brooklyn from New Jersey with my girlfriend, who I was living with at the time. And I, I lived in a town in New Jersey called New Brunswick, where a lot of people know Rutgers College there. And I worked in a hair salon called Sparks there. And, Ooh. you know, lots of cocaine and, like, hair styling and, like, you know, it was a mess. And really fun. And then I started dating this comedian who I met, but I was also dating this woman and, you know, they didn't know. And he lived in Brooklyn. He lived in Bushwick. And classic (laughs) so I moved literally down this is like how much of a psycho I am I moved down the street from him with my girlfriend who didn't know that I was like fucking this man um wait how old were you to Brooklyn and she was like okay you know and so we moved I was 20 23 23 yeah um and that's that's where kind of my New York life began um And that was my, you know, my life up until I had been doing yoga, like physical yoga from when I was like 18, like my first yoga class was in New Jersey and like a basement, like a smelly dank basement in Sayreville, New Jersey, like the back of a gym, you know, it was like a hot yoga thing. And I just remember I was like, what is this? This is like being high, you know, I was like super into being high, like coming from more of like a you know, in high school, like queer, punk rock, riot girl kind of vibe, um, lots of acid. And so I found yoga then, but it was very physical and it definitely wasn't taking me anywhere, you know, other than maybe getting some good exercise and- Yeah, struggling. it wasn't a, a
0: spiritual practice yet.
1: Yeah, but I also was getting those first tastes Yeah, of wow, I could feel good and be here. Like that was like, whoa, like without- Taking drugs without taking, you know, acid or mushrooms or all the other things I was doing at the time, Um, yeah,
0: yeah. So when did you transition from being a hairstylist to being an entrepreneur and a healer and a writer? Because I imagine like there was a life shift there, and I'm curious if it ties in with sobriety, if it ties in with a family event, which are some of the other things I wanted to ask you about. Um, What was that shift? Yeah. So it was a gradual shift,
1: you know, as things are, I think like on social media, we see how like everybody's in spiritual entrepreneur and then everyone else is like, how do I do that? You know? And, and as a coach, you know, you know, Alexandra, it's like, you're like, well, it takes time, you know? I mean, I think it should take time anyways, Mm -hmm. but it's, it definitely was a gradual process. Um, but there were some pivotal kind of monumental moments that really shifted my, my consciousness around that. Um, one of them being, uh, the passing of my dad when I was 24, um, and we buried my dad on my 25th birthday. So that was like a very big wake up because my dad was an addict, but we were very close growing up. I'm a Taurus. He was, is a Scorpio. And
0: like, he was just like, we got my dad's birthday. Yes, that's great. Right. That. You and my dad. <laughs> we'll get into yeah. dad stuff very soon here.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, and so it was huge because I didn't know he was an addict, even though I grew up with him, right? And and it's very strange to all of a sudden it's like it was like the biggest gaslight of my life, literally, you know, because all of a sudden everybody was still pretending like that's not what happened. And I was waking up to what was going on and I was like, oh fuck, you know, and He did die of drugs. And so at that time, I was still like a cocaine, you know, hairstylist. And so that really was the catalyst for me to stop doing hard drugs like cocaine. I did it one more time after that at like a a holiday party at the salon I worked at. And I remember like driving like my car all coked up like that, like was the last time. Like if that, you know, like if him dying wasn't like a wake up call, like I don't know what is. So I really... my hard drug addiction ended there. And then I got really addicted to doing yoga. Wait, but
0: first I want to interrupt you. I'm an interrupter because I like to ask the details because I'll forget. I love being interrupted. Okay, great. Don't interrupt me. So do you mind sharing with us, like what was the drug or what was his addiction?
1: Yeah, so he, I mean, it's complicated because again, it's like opening up a world of like, muddled
0: you know right. like, like alcohol and drugs and different right, things. Like, no, like
1: alcohol no so my dad oh, okay. it was interesting because he really I mean he was Italian but like no he never drank he he had found um heroin at a young okay. age so he but he was a functioning addict which right. is you know you don't usually make that connection you think heroin you think like Kurt Cobain or you think like oh it's like you do it and then you die but I mean he functioned his whole life i mean he died when he was 56 and he started right. when he was a kid in new jersey you know so he also yeah. had periods of his life where he was more healthy like i think yeah. it probably you he know it wasn't it. as dominant um he learned how to fly small airplanes at one point which i i got him a flight lesson one time for his birthday, and like it was just like an intuition I had, and he fell in love with it, and he started flying some And like during that phase of his life, he was he was healthy, I believe. Yeah. Um, I used to fly with him, and he would like smoke his cigarette out the little window, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I think by the end, basically, when I was seventeen, I moved out. I moved in with my boyfriend who owned his family owned the liquor store next to the hair salon I worked at. And we kind of fell in love, like at the dumpster at night. (laughs) back, Smoking by the dumpster. Totally. Like taking out the trash in the salon at night and he'd be like taking out the trash of the liquor store. And I was like, Hmm, you know, who are you? And, you know, we fell in love and he had a really nice Irish Catholic family that, you know, lots of kids, lots of people around. And I was like, I'm going to move in with you, you know? And oh. so right away, and then I started kind of convincing my mom, like, what are you doing? Cause my mom was still with my dad. I mean, she stayed with him for me, you know right. um, which was, you know, I don't anyways, who knows that's what happened. And so mm-hmm. I was like, you should go like that. doesn't. Seem- did you know by then
0: that he was doing heroin? I didn't know consciously,
1: but I think I, I kind yeah. of, I sensed it, but I also knew like my father was abusive physically to everybody, but me, wow. like I never received physical abuse that I remember. Um, and he was physically abusive with my mom, with my older brother, like it. And so it was like, right. I just kind of knew, I think yeah. like without consciously knowing something's off. Yeah. Yeah. And so then when my mom left he kind of declined. Um, There was like four years where he, he moved, he sold the house that we grew that, you know, I grew up in. And that was like his, you know, he started selling things. He moved into a small apartment. He like, you know, never got a bed. He just kind of slept on the couch and then moved in with my uncle, who was also an addict who also wound up killing himself years after my dad died. And he he just gave up on life basically. I watched him do it, but it wasn't like, I I didn't know that that was what was happening until you know in hindsight I can see. Yeah. That. yeah. Wow. I was young. Wow. I was like a baby, and I didn't. Yeah. I didn't anything. I just you know I my consciousness was not. It was like I said, it was very different than it is today.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so when you were like at his funeral, realizing that was it was in an OD, it's hard to tell he had an aneurysm, and
1: okay. you know again it's unclear. You know wow. so. I but would I, never know, Alexandra.
0: Shit. Yeah. So like well, never. Know. I have a list of questions that I am taking with me to the other side. <laughs> so I would just make your own little list of questions. Yeah. You know, like, did that person cheat on me or or were they <laughs> were they being honest? You know, like because there's some things we will never know. Like the ex so was true. like, hey. No, I, I didn't cheat on you, but you like knew they were cheating on you yeah. t- intuitively. So those kind of things, and then some questions about the nature of reality, are yeah. on my list of you know when I get to the other side. That I love is, that. I have those
1: you. too for sure, and I I do feel that I don't. I think obviously death is a big mystery, but I do feel that we. I I do feel that enough people have had the experience of of meeting those on the other side, you know, to kind of at least confirm that much of it. And and I definitely feel um, I have those questions as
0: well. Yeah, there's a great book or there's two books called um, Destiny of Souls and Journey of Souls. Have you heard of those? Yeah, yeah. Have you read them? them? Yeah. Journey of souls. I I thought that was so fun for anyone who's like interested in like, it's like hypnosis for people and they go into what happens in the lives between lives. And it sort of is this explanation for how our souls incarnate, what we're doing in between. I mean, it sounds so fantastical. It sounds like you're listening to a sci-fi movie, but um, the guy apparently did a lot of real research. So, um, but so did you have like a clear awareness? I got to get sober is what I was going to ask you at the funeral. Or was it just like, it's just starting to happen.
1: No, there I was just stunned, you know, like my, my mom, like I was just in shock. Um, and just kind of like super survival, you know, when you go into those moments where you're just like, you're not thinking about anything except like what is happening? How is this happening? Like, it just, it was like a blackout, you know, and my mom, my grandmother, my mom's mom, who was a mystic has an amazing story. Um, she died a month before my, uh, uh, before my dad. So my mom was just like, she was, I um, mean, anyway, I have this I had this mother wound with her around being emotionally unavailable. Um, but you know, she was gone, you know, so I was like super alone, you know, and, and my whole family is a bunch of crazy fucking people. So I didn't, it was, I was very alone in that moment. And definitely I didn't know what was going on and I didn't have the sobriety revelation. Then it was more when I did that cocaine, the time after the, the his death was when I had the first taste of like, something's got to shift. And so first was the hard drugs that went. And then the other aspect of my sobriety came after some years of doing yoga And the other aspect of sobriety being around alcohol, it was alcohol. And mostly for me, it was weed. Um, okay. I I know in California, California, sobers don't, don't consider weed, um, (laughs) part of their sobriety. (laughs) It's definitely a part because it weed really helped me. I believe, um, you know, because I, I stopped doing hard drugs and I started doing like three yoga classes a day at this place. Oh my God. (laughs) Laughing Lotus in New York city. Um, and that place helped me literally get off cocaine. Like I always, like, I know one of the teachers, Dana Flynn there. And I used to tell her like, you literally helped me get off cocaine. Cause I used to take three fucking crazy vinyasa classes a day. And they had these little cookies, um, in, in the, after they were like, it was this these like ginger Newman o cookies. And it's like, Oh yeah. I remember those cinnamon tea and the combination of that, like sugar in my system after the Shavasana and the chanting that I was totally like, what's going on. It was like a recipe for my, it it helped my sobriety, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: my, I was smoking a ton of weed, you know, and I was a hairstylist. So I could just like sit around and smoke weed all day. So that's what I did. I smoked weed all day. And I do feel like it helped me in that phase of my life. Cause I wouldn't, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to handle the emotional pain that I was carrying. I think yeah. it would have been way too much for my system and for the tools that I, I didn't have at that time. And, and um, you know, the yoga was there, but on my at my dad's um deathbed when I went to the hospital, I was actually at work when they called me and I took the train to New Jersey. And my friend, best friend Matt, who's now a death doula, wasn't then, picked me up and drove me to the hospital. And a mantra actually came to my to me when I was at the hospital. And I didn't know any mantras then. Like I said, I had been doing yoga, but I it was that phase of yoga where you're like, I like that mantra, but I can never remember it. Like, right. I just remember saying, and like, but I can feel the energy. And like, I was always very sensitive because I was a sensitive being and kid. And this, that mantra, Loka Samastha Sukhino Bhavantu, started, it came to me when I was at his death bed. And it was very like, it was kind of, I think one of my first like subtle awakenings, um, because I didn't even know how I knew it, but I knew, I think intuitively I needed to pray. And yeah I grew up going to church with my dad. And so I was really like anti-church and, and Catholicism because it was, you know, just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and I just started doing that mantra and, and yeah. I just kind of rode that energy just you know, throughout the process of, you know, wow. funeral and death. And then I started just getting really hardcore into yoga. And then mm-hmm. I went to India about four years later I as 29. And after my first trip to India about was in August um, when I was 29. And then that following new year's Eve, of 2012, I, I got sober of everything,
0: including psychedelics. Um, okay. I so talk to me about that. Why? Yeah. Why did you decide that psychedelics were not good for you? Cause they're so popular right now. And I, I want to hear more about the side that actually isn't helpful to all bodies and all brains. And
1: yeah, well, for me, I think it was just that I had done so many, like literally yeah. being, being sober from everything was the only thing i hadn't done yet okay i had done a ton of psychedelic i mean i spent almost every day i'm not exaggerating at all taking like liquid acid like for almost a year and a half straight in high school like like dropping hits and hits wow. about during the day like i took okay. tons of acid and then mushrooms were just a part of my i was doing yoga <laughs> we were, smoking weed, we were oh. like having orgies and eating mushrooms <laughs> it was like oh my god then having all night ragas and like having really fucked up relational dynamics and for me on that moment on new year's eve i looked around and i had two guys i was i had invited there and i was like fuck i forgot i invited them both what am i supposed to do? with that. And I was like, it was like, it was kind of a beautiful scene. It was like early like yoga and like, oh, we're getting, we're doing psychedelics and we're experiencing God and we're we're singing and we're we're artists and we're like upstate and and it was beautiful in a certain way. But I looked around and I was like I'm never going to be able to quit smoking cigarettes, first of all, which I had so much shame around because I but I was then teaching yoga and I had so much shame around my voice because I smoked cigarettes. And it's weird, but I almost got sober from weed and psychedelics to stop smoking cigarettes. But what the the real thing was that it was, I knew I couldn't use my voice in the way that I was meant to in this life, if I was still doing all that. And I knew I wouldn't be able to have any sort of healthy dynamic or relationship with a man if I didn't just like clear everything away. And so it was definitely like a touch of grace in that moment. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily decide it just happened. I was like, I'm done, but I had done, you know, I'd gone to India. I had been doing right. that, like inner ritual right. work and shamanic work and
0: you know, all the, all the, all the mushrooms and everything too. Right. It did aid me. Yeah, I, I, it did. I, aid, I mean, it's something like Ram Das talks about and be here now. And it's yeah. a lot of different teachers have talked about like, wow. Yeah. That awakened me. I think that's amazing. That was beautiful. And it's really different than it becoming a crutch as a way to reach God, right? Like that's like, that's the only thing. That worries me a little bit about what I see in kind of the subculture of spiritual people, conscious people, burner, da, 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 is it becoming just like the quick, easy way. Not to say that like, that's not okay for some people. I really don't know, but I do see it happening a lot. And I had to tell myself, you know, like, what if you just don't do psychedelics for a while? Cause I did, I did a lot of ayahuasca and I was going to ayahuasca, like looking for to be fixed, mm-hmm. looking to be healed yeah. and, and then going to mushrooms, looking to be healed, looking yeah. to be healed, fix me yeah. like in a way, you know, I wasn't saying that consciously and a lot of beauty did happen and opening, but I think in the last two years, I've been like, we're good like, and anytime I've tried to put psychedelics in my body in the last two years, it has not yeah. been happy. Like yeah. I shit my brains out on a, when I was like hiking, <laughs> trying to take some, I'm, I'm like, I was like, this is not, this yeah. is not what my body wants. It's like, yeah. also it drops me into immediate like shadow work. Cause I'm like Mars yeah. and Scorpio. I'm like, let's get this yeah. part going. And I'm like, I don't need to be doing that all the time. No,
1: but no, I think like I'm already doing that all the time. Like when exactly. I, did, I did microdose like one time and I was just like, <laughs> like, I was just like, like, I'm, this is just like, I'm already here. And like, like first it didn't, I almost like didn't experience anything. Cause I was like, this is intense, but I literally am always here and this isn't helping. It's actually kind of like something. I think the thing is that you sense if something's getting in the way, I think we all intuitively know on some yeah. level, we're not lying to ourselves, which hopefully we're all working on not lying to ourselves more and more, Never yeah. mind other people, but you know, like, right, 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 right. Sense when something's in the way. And I just, yeah. that. I was like, I don't fucking need this. Like for me, personally my truth is that like me being in this reality this material reality where like you're alexandra and you look beautiful with your you know red on and your your whole situation over there and i could see you because you're in this human form and you're obviously a goddess but you're incarnated in this way and me over here you know it's like for for me to be in this reality is so psychedelic and so painful and so beautiful and so awakening like i feel like i'm having a spiritual awakening just because of how much work I've done to be here and because of my level of vulnerability. And like, I oftentimes will say like the most psychedelic shit for me is like human, a human heart's vulnerability. Like that is the most powerful plant medicine there is. And I believe that we are made of earth because that's obvious to me. And if you explore your own inner workings or a lot of the traditional Tantra that I've been initiated into and, and, and practice it's super psychedelic. If I'm dealing with reality as it is, I just said yesterday, like I'm having a spiritual awakening, like to my partner. <laughs> and he was like, okay, like what does, that, <laughs> what does that mean? And I was like, I don't know, but like I can feel it. Like I can feel that like the veils between me and the unseen mm. world, since I made this decision to go to Italy very spontaneously, like next week, it's like all of a sudden I'm having a spiritual awakening. Right, 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 right. It breath. Breath. But you it's like, I'm choosing my yeah, and when yeah. I truth in something in alignment with my truth,
0: it, it awakens my it consciousness. So does it so does it so true. It's so true. And you've worked hard to cultivate that level of, um, sensitivity yeah. and aliveness. And I think a lot of psychedelics can help people that are stuck in a freeze that yeah. are really numb, that are really hardened, um, and, and then it's like not relying on that to continue to open you, right? Like not going, oh, I can't open without this. I can't relax without this. Um, yeah. I think a lot of passionate people, we do have addictive personalities. I mean, I was just listening to Glennon Doyle and Liz Gilbert. Did you hear that podcast recently? Okay. Um, it's, it's really recent. And Elizabeth Gilbert is saying like that she did a bunch of like psychedelics for a few years. And oh, no, I didn't hear it. She has nothing bad to say about it, but she noticed that at the end of each journey, she was like, I don't want this to end. Like, because she preferred that type of reality to the one that she was going to come back to. Right. And that's not my experience in psychedelics. Mine is like, is this going to be over soon? This is hard work. (laughs) Um, But I do think a lot of people do experience that on MDMA, like, or something like that. I don't anymore, which I don't know why. It's like, it doesn't, make me happy. It makes me feel more anxious and, and disorganized and disoriented. But I think for a lot of people, it like provides them a window, right? And there's so many studies. And I definitely think that for people with, um, you know, severe trauma, veterans, etc. cetera, there's so much incredible things that are happening totally. for people like you and me. And like, maybe people in our subculture who are around the same kind of, I don't know, cultural experience as us, maybe doing MDMA and and mushrooms every weekend. I don't know. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not. Who am I to say? But it's definitely (laughs) become so popular.
1: It's a safer way too, because I think like in my lineage, it's like people traditionally had a, had a guru, meaning like they had a teacher that guided them and, and, and through that intermediary, you experienced ecstatic states, you experienced your true nature as bliss, which is our true nature. And so I think in our day and age, because of our evolution, because of so many different reasons that I'm not going to get into right now, it's like a healthier, or it's another option, right? To have an intermediary between, and a guide, because we need an extra, we need intermediaries. Like we don't, like, because you can, but like you said, there can be this thing of even breath work, right? Where it's just like, well, You can just kind of stay high, and when you brought up the Ramdas thing, I remember Ramdas or Neem Korole Baba, Ramdas's guru, saying, like, you can take psychedelics and experience Christ and see Christ, but you can't take psychedelics and become Christ, right? Because I mean, unless you're on psychedelics constantly, right? So it's like, <laughs> you think you've become Christ, but then the next day you're back to you, <laughs> totally. And then what happens in the back to you, right, is the reason why I think we're drawn to get out of our experience in the first place which is our core wound which is our love wound which is our fractured sense of self and i believe that we need our fractured sense of self to come into some some resonance of wholeness for us to really actually be the humans that we're here to be right and that's where like the path of the feminine of relatedness comes in and that's where the embodiment comes in because it's like in tantra Sally Compton, one of my teachers says, like, the goddess doesn't want you to just worship her. She wants you to become her.
0: Mm-hmm. So if
1: I'm becoming this, this vessel, this vehicle for alchemy for transformation for fire, which is what I am, and everybody has their own version of what that is, I believe, I have to be honest about like, is this taking me closer to that? Or is this taking me further away? Totally. And, uh, you know, something that helps you in one moment might actually be start taking, you know, will start taking you away from your truth in the next. So that's why it's so psychedelic to be on a path of awakening, because right. there is no, you can't assume things. This isn't like, oh, well, now I'm this kind of person who that's when the spiritual ego gets really strong. And we feel yucky around each other. Cause it's just yeah. like, you're saying something that's spiritual, but you're not actually emitting that frequency. And that feels really bad. Like, I have more tolerance for like Walmart than I do for that. You know, like me I- too, I that. exactly That's horrible in your body. Cause you're like, oh, I'm being gaslit again. Right. And like, I grew up being gaslit, like I said, so I really in a whole health different health. way. Right. Totally. And it's just yeah. like, but it's the same resonance the in the same. same way. And so I personally, this isn't just a judgment on others. Cause I've done that. I've been that. If you, I look at myself 10 years ago, of course, I wasn't as embodied in my vibration in truth, because how could I be? I've been growing, I've been learning. So it's not yeah. like, it's not like a pointing a finger to shame ourselves and one another, but it's like, I'm committed to living yeah. in this frequency and to yeah. acknowledging that this frequency is because I'm human. And it's not just because I'm fucked up and I need to be fixed. It's because this is, this is who we are. This is what we came here for,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that, you know, I've had these moments where when I am say at a really spiritual community or a group of people, and I feel that gaslit resonance of like, what is off here? These are supposed to be my people. But then I like, you know, go to New York and go into some random, I don't know, restaurant, diner, bar. And I just feel so much love. And I've gotten so much better at recognizing it. And I felt such a wound of belonging. In those spaces of entering in and being like, these are supposed to be people who are also embodying love, who are also embodying truth. But why can't I feel it? Is it me? It must be me. I must be the one who's broken. I must be the one who's fucked up. Right. And it's taken me so long to just, you know, just acknowledge. I'm not saying they're the ones that are fucked up, but that's just not the resonant, the need of my own heart or my own practice. And
1: right.
0: I mean, it makes
1: I it are also an authentic like you're obviously here to experience and to transmit the energy of authenticity and what's real. Right. And so if a bunch of people in a bar just like having a good time doing their, being their most authentic selves, like getting wasted, even if some of them are alcoholics, like there's some sort of resonance in that for me that's like well they're not saying one thing and doing another necessarily right they're just being themselves right or at least that's the perception that I would put on that and Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the difference sometimes where it's like like at some point when I started going to like AA which like I'm I don't you know I'm not necessarily part of the program I've been sober for 10 years now but it's like I started realizing like wow I feel better in a room full of like people that are hating themselves (laughs) than (laughs) I do in yoga studio, because at least like, We can all sit around and be like, you know why I'm a piece of shit? (laughs) Well, I'm a piece of shit because I fucking did this and I did this and I did that. And then you go to the yoga studio and everybody's like, hi, you know, like, and everyone's just like, I'm not angry and I don't even get angry. And like, you know, and I'm here and just like, I think you are in in your own ways, obviously to, to let those shadows out of the closet to like the closet and being like, no, come out. Like, no, we, everyone's angry. Everyone's grieving. Everyone's lonely everyone's sad everyone has some sort of addiction if you grew up in our culture like exactly <laughs> the truths of our reality so like why why do we have to deny them and some of us are just here to say like i'm not going to deny them like that's oh, not
0: good to me it's so good and i've you know i I feel really blessed to have friends like you moon saw like lisa like all these ruby you know great people who are really transparent about their flaws, about their weaknesses, about their spots of healing, tenderness. And so I forget Mm -hmm. that not everybody is like that. Yeah. You know that, And that's okay. You guys, it's okay. If you're not at a point in your journey where you're being honest with your yeah. friends, even that you have an addiction or that yeah. you feel really lonely or whatever, that is okay. Like it really does take a lot. And I think you have to be around other people that are also doing that. And there's like a collective force that comes through, um, if you're the only one in your circle of friends that's willing to go, guys, like I binge watch eight episodes last night till four a.m. Um, and this is the fourth night in a row. Like I have a little bit of, the, there's something happening, right? Or I'm just doom scrolling for hours, or yeah. you yeah. know, I binge on like I don't know, gummy bears, and then you know, it's like, yeah. a, a, and. If no one in your community is willing to have that conversation, then that is yeah. so oppressive. Find another community of people that are willing to have those conversations. Because the truth is, especially with women, like I work mostly with women, it's yeah. like when you put us all together, those are those are like the minimum stories, you know, binging, yeah. like cutting, rape, right? Like, I mean, they just, the list is huge. I'm not saying that every conversation that we have with other women <laughs> needs to be about our trauma. However... However, it's like, it's part of the doorway to our embodied
1: experience of our power of like true power, not power in that patriarchal way, but the true essence of love that, you know, is within us. And I think that, you know, we didn't have the language of trauma when we were young. And that's why we all feel like we're broken because we didn't have that language. So we just, uh, we just adopted, right. our the generational trauma that was addiction that was, Oh, I'm broken. Right. But, yeah. but we have this language and it's not to just focus on the trauma, but trauma can take you into a super psychedelic non-dual experience if you have the right support. And I love what you're saying too, where it's like, this isn't to say everybody, like if you're struggling with any of that, like you're definitely not alone. And I don't think I'm not one of those shadow workers. That's like, you're not looking at your shit. Because like I said, I know for a fact that I could not have looked at my shadow right. any moment sooner than I did. I'm 40 right. now. Right. And I have lots of, hopefully many years to go. But when I look back to that period where I just, the, the weed was helping my grief, helping me yeah. work with grief until it didn't, until I was ready to feel that grief. But some of those moments of feeling grief were like screams in the shower that I don't know if I would have survived feeling them four yeah. or five years sooner. I had yeah. have actually like, committed suicide. You know, I have a lot of suicide in my family, like really dark, intense ancestral trauma. Right. So each layer of it, I believe it's meant to happen in layers exactly. for a reason. It's not just like, Oh, I'm dealing with this again. It's like, right. Oh, wow. Thank God I'm dealing with this again because each time, right. There's, there's a little bit more liberation that we get to experience as well as we feel, yeah. the pain, you know? So yeah. It's designed like that for a reason, and I believe in a power greater than myself to be in charge as much as I possibly can for that
0: reason. Okay, so I just want to take a quick break from the episode to share about one of my affiliate partners, ShockRubs, the original crystal sex toy company. You may have seen me share about them on Instagram or in the press, because I have, because I love them. (laughs) Vanessa Cuccia, who is the founder of the company, and she was also a guest on this podcast in episode six, she really pioneered the idea of using crystals for heightened sexual and spiritual intimacy. Each chakra is handcrafted from 100% natural crystal, and they're completely body-safe. And the store carries a wide array of products that infuse your energetic field with the subtle energy that the crystal of your chakra holds. Using a chakra over time can help build sensitivity and reawaken subtle sensations within your body. Yay! <laughs> I have personally used them and for years, and I love their products. And over the last few years, I've recommended them to many clients and survivors of sexual trauma, not only for exploring their self-pleasure, but for healing, releasing blockages, feelings held in the body, and rebuilding and reawakening their relationship to sexuality and sensuality over time. And also, they are these beautiful objects, which you can put on an altar in some way in your home to really um, embrace them. So use the link in the show notes and the code is a rock. So love at checkout to receive a 10% discount in the store. Big love and enjoy. Now back to the episode. Oh my God. There's so many things that I want to keep talking about. So let's talk about. <laughs> let's pivot from one of our favorite topics, trauma to one of our favorite topics, sex. <laughs>
1: I'm sure we can do five
0: podcasts on drama, five on sex, five on you know addiction, whatever. Anyway, for a later date, but I did want to, you know, something that I explore in my work a lot. And I have for the last 20 years, since the first play I wrote in NYU is the split between sexuality and spirituality, especially in the Western world. And, um, I know that that's something that is integral to your work as well. I I haven't heard you necessarily put it in those exact words that I use, but I think you use your own words around that and that you do so much healing Um, also on the very somatic level with people uh, where I'm, I work a little bit more energetic and with the mind, I'm not kind of leading people so much into like the physical experience of touching themselves more into like breathing and feeling into their bodies. Mm-hmm. But I love that. I've been seeing more and more, you claiming this part of yourself. Like when I met you, that wasn't something that you were really talking yeah. about publicly. And I feel like more and more, I'm like, Adriana's is going in this direction mm-hmm. and I'm just curious how your journey took you there from, Working, you know, maybe primarily with like body and dance and healing to adult sex education and squirting and G-spot classes for women who are spiritual practitioners, but also want to deepen in that way.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. Um, I began teaching sacred sexuality also more from an energetic breathwork perspective because I was trained originally in traditional Tantra and not Neo Tantra. So in traditional Tantra, you don't get to the sexuality practice uh, practices until you do a lot, a lot, a lot of other things. And then even then, it's mostly very secretive, right? So it's like right. you don't like, get a book on that. It's not like the, in the no. And it's no. just not encouraged. It's not taught, right? And so mostly it's just been like cut out, right? And so yeah. it it kind of ends up being the same way that it's been cut out of any religion, which is really just because, you know, this is how the patriarchy is dealt with desire because it's uncontrollable. So let us just fucking cut it out and then pretend it doesn't exist. And then it just erupts in the shadows. Right. So that's what's been happening for a while now. And so that same kind of thing happened for me in traditional Tantra, even though like I was going to tantra workshops and even relational workshops with traditional tantra teachers even like
0: something. like in the Kashmiri Shaivas yeah. tantra yeah. lineage yeah. and so for people listening that's more it's classical it's more based in yogic teachings it's not neo tantra where you're like getting in a room and it's not westernized it's the no. traditional um Sally so Kempton who else are some other
1: and then Shakti pod and and having a yes. direct experience of God within. So it's God yes is within. And every human being carries a parcel of that divinity within and here's practices to help you
0: awaken that. You know, I have awakening Shakti right behind yeah. me here. Yeah. yeah. So Sally Kempton <laughs> is a teacher. Book. Yeah, I've gone to some of her workshops too. So okay, just so people Love know, because that. that's something we do mention sometimes. Um And so you were studying that and you were studying the more classic where you're, it's not like a sexy kind of a a practice.
1: Yeah. And also as a woman, right. I mean, I found Sally Kempton at at one point who does talk about sexuality, but I didn't even hear her talk about that when I first met her, but you know, I was going to India over and over again. I had gone to India like five, six times and having these, I started having these um, just very orgasmic experiences. And then nobody could kind of tell me like what was going on because also, just for natural boundaries, right? Some of these right. teachers were men, and they didn't really want to like go there because they didn't, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it was like for a good reason. But also, I was like, where there was no women. Like there were no fucking women spiritual teachers around me to say, like, this is why, you know, like this is this is why that's happening. Maybe there's some trauma there. Maybe the kundalini shakti is going to this part of your body because there's some wow. trauma that it's healing and ultimately in our in our tradition it's like your kundalini is that parcel of divinity within you and so when it awakens it it has its own intelligence so it knows what part of you needs healing. Oh god. Ooh.
0: When I, I had didn't... yes, I mean yes, but like Uh, it's tough. It's
1: like like J Ma, right? Like, that's why we're like, we know we're not in control. And it's not like we're victims of this either. We're we're in relationship,
0: right? Like it's, it's, I mean, you know,
1: there's, there's out there, but
0: when I had, that's the, that's the offline nerdy conversation.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) When we could put a pin in that for later, but when I had, um, a Shakti pot experience, meaning like a big energetic awakening, I was in India And actually this ties into why I'm going to Italy. And I had, um, a mystical experience in a temple there, um, in Maharashtra, this, which is a a place in India and in this very small goddess temple. And it's a small goddess temple. It's like this salmon colored, like square concrete temple about halfway up this mountain. That is a mountain to Hanuman and Hanuman is the, the God of of love and service and devotion in, in Indian mystical traditions. And at the top is Hanuman's temple and halfway up is his mom's temple. Her name is Janaki Mata. So in this temple, I had this experience where I was meditating and I was, you know, going to India over and over again. And I was in that phase where I was just like, God, take everything. Like, I was like, I'm not in that anymore. I'm like, please don't take anything.
0: Right, 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 right. I was like, hardcore. Like, I'm with I, know. I'm with, I prayed Almost. that in so many ayahuasca ceremonies. Take from me all that is not free on repeat. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. My God.
1: And I was there. I was just like, take everything. Like, all I cared about is liberation. And I still oh. do. Like, it's a little different. I'm like, much more humbled now. I'm like, please, please. But I was there. And so I had this experience where I felt an arrow get shot into my heart. And I kind of, I was, I was submerged in ecstasy. And I I took this vow to share the energy of the divine feminine with as many beings as I could. And and, and that was just what happened. And I left the temple and I was just high. Like I I was walking down the mountain, these rolling hills in India. And I was just like, had this, this, this roomy, of course, poem <laughs> come to me of like, you know, the power of love came into me and I became as fierce as the lion and as tender as the evening star. Yeah. It's a piece of a longer roomy poem. Yeah. And I, all of a sudden my ego, like my mind kicked in finally and was like, really? Like you're having, like, you're experiencing a roomy poem while you're, I you know, know. there's, a New, Yorker. there's there. a New Yorker
0: hidden in there. <laughs> I was like,
1: yeah. You know, like, I'm like, I was so strong. I couldn't even, it didn't even matter. I was like, yeah, bitch, that's what's happening right now. And great. Right. Anyway, that experience of awakening, you know, is really probably like my biggest, cause you know, awakening doesn't always happen like that. Right. It's slow. It's gradual. Not everybody has these big, crazy mystical right. experiences. I happen to, cause that's just my soul's journey, but not everybody does. So there's no comparison. Um, I just need to make that clear. But yeah. for me, that moment was, was a pivotal moment around this Sexuality um, work because what happened was I became a walking orgasm. I became a fire mm-hmm. that was like I was so turned on like all the time, and it was like like people are like, "Wow, that sounds great," but it was not actually because and and uh-huh. part of it is I didn't know how to work with the energy, and I didn't uh-huh. really. It was so big that even the guide at that time, you know, it just it wasn't. I just I was meant to really have to figure all that shit out by myself. Wait, wait,
0: wait. What do you mean? Even the guide at that time.
1: So like, meaning like all the guides that I had at that time did not know like what to do. Okay. Okay, okay. How to no know how to advise you or no, wrangle, no. wrangle
0: this massive energy. No
1: one knew like, okay, like we'll try this or do that. It's just not what was around me at the time. So the integration of that awakening, which, you know, this was seven years ago now, um, it's yeah. been happening ever since, but part of that was the awakening of, wow having a spiritual awakening in a woman's body as somebody with a vagina is very different than a lot of what has been taught and passed down through men mostly. And most of the books are written by men, written by men. And so it's of course going to have so much stuff there that doesn't even apply and definitely wasn't speaking to my experience. And so I just like I had to go on a witch hunt basically and be like, who the fuck is going to help me with this? And Mm. for a long time, I was really alone and it was just me and the goddess and me and nature. And so that's when my, my relationship to nature really deepened like the ocean. And I, that's when I moved to Topanga Canyon and I was alone for nine months and I was just, it was just me. And it was those. That land in Topanga, and it was that Pacific Ocean. Every day, I swam, and I swam my ass off, and I floated, and I cried, and I was grieving, and that's when I started moving my body, like all the body temple dance work I teach today yeah. started then, seven year, eight mm-hmm. years ago, and I eventually um, started finding teachers in more of the neo tantra world to help me with the energetic stuff, yeah. and that worked for a little while, but I still felt like. But what about my body? Like this body that can be hurt, this body right. that can be can harmed, because I also yeah. experienced a lot of drama and shadows that came up for me around relationship that I'm not going to disclose in this moment, right. but right. they were very unhealthy dynamics. And I wasn't just the victim. I was, I played all roles. Right. So I was in this very unique position to not even be able to be the victim alone. I had to like, really be like, Whoa, yeah. like the triangle of like victim her drama. Victim. Yeah savior, I was like all three. And right. so I was like, okay, so how do I deal with this? So I found a great therapist. Thank God. I've been seeing the same therapist ever since she's definitely helped me save my life. And I started doing more integration work, right? All the Jungian work. I know a lot of yeah. some of the work you do Alexandra know about that's yeah. when I started doing all of that work. And then all of this to get to your answer. I found my, um, se- uh, sexual education teacher, Deborah Sundahl. And when I found Deborah, it was the first time in my life that I meditated with my finger in my vagina. And I was like, I can't believe I've been trained in meditation. I've been trained in breath. I've been trained in all these things. And not one time have I felt the vagus nerve connected to my pussy. Like I've, I've felt. Sexually- Tell us
0: about that. So, so we can get all, what, it, what do you mean? Tell us.
1: So intrigued. In- in the process. Right. And so I've had, you know, you have sex, you have orgasms. And I think if you've had any kind of trauma or you come from lineages of trauma, which I think all women do on some level, yeah. you you are sensitive to like, whoa, something spiritual happens when we, when I have sex, like that's where I could really let go or at least initially. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we kind of get that, but this was like, it was just me because, in this work it's like you, you and this is now what i teach other people to do is you become your own sexual healer so it's not somebody else doing anything you're you're being guided because we need that intermediary again to do this mm-hmm. kind of relational healing work we need guides that are human i believe or yeah yeah close to human and um <laughs> or have possess human qualities like plants do um <laughs> but this was the first time that when i started learning specifically about the g-spot which is also known as the urethral sponge also known as the female prostate. Um, The first phase of it is that you look at it. Like you look at your G-spot you look at your pussy with a mirror and you find your G-spot. You can see it, which I didn't know. Mm. Then you start doing this process of mapping, right? And mapping is just bringing conscious touch to your vagina or to any part of your body that you're mapping technically. And so when I began the mapping process of the G-spot, I started having these really deep kind of meditative experiences, and I was like, "Oh, like it was so soothing. It was so self-soothing." You know, when you go into those deep states of meditation, where you're just—I mean, it's samadhi, right? You're 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 merged with source, and you're you're completely surrendered, or at least in some level that gives you that sense of well-being, that sense of like wholeness. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't believe all these damn years I've been learning even about sacred sexuality, but never has anybody invited me to put my finger on my pussy and like feel and breathe and not try to orgasm or do anything other than be here. Mm -hmm. And that experience was revolutionary for me. Um, Then I started learning more about, okay, the orgasm and the ejaculation, right? Which is but it was like, but even now when I teach other people with vaginas, I always like, I really emphasize those beginning stages because the cool thing is about the G spot different than like breath work orgasm, right? Like we can do orgasmic breath work and we can get that energetic, which I think is a great prep for like when you're working with your arousal and getting out of your head and your body, these practices, I still do them all the time. If I'm like, going to, you know, have a date to like make love with my partner. It's like, okay, I do these practices to get in my arousal energy body. But the cool thing with the G-spot is that you can't force it, right? Like the clitoral orgasm, you know, we oftentimes know it's pretty fast and it's kind of like, it's like, it's like, you know, it has that kind of energy too. It's like fast humping or, you know, vibrating, right? It's like kind of energy but there's a different nerve that goes to the clitoris than to the G spot. And the vagus nerve goes to the G spot or nerves go to the G spot. Um, And so one of the reasons why a lot of people with vaginas have a hard time with internal orgasms is because it doesn't really work like that. So a lot of like fast, hard pounding kind of um, energy, it oftentimes will numb our internal experience because it's not what's needed. What's needed is slow What's needed is like, like the breath is not manipulating the arousal. The breath is helping the body to surrender to the arousal and uh-huh. to the orgasm. That's just the pleasure that's already there. Right. So it's not like, you know, so, so even like a vibrator, it's like, even that is like, it's, it's more of a slow process, right. Um, Which brings so much up. It brings up so much rage. It brings up so much grief, which is also why I'm interested in it. Cause I think many people are like, well, I don't have any connection, to my anger. I'm like, well, you start mapping your G spot and I guarantee you, you're going to get angry pretty quick. Right. I mean, a lot of practices can help us. Right. Or you're going to start connecting to your grief because so much grief. I talk about that in my book. Yeah. Yeah, So much grief. Yeah. In your book, it's like you, you share about that, right? Like we carry so much of that in our wombs. So I I really have found so much healing through the physical, more somatic work um, and helping others reclaim that experience, not just of like pleasure and orgasm, which is a part of it. Like everybody can ejaculate. It's squirting is. I think it's a popular term because of porn but most people's experience of ejaculation is not squirt. It's more of a trickle. It's more of a flood. It's more of a gush
0: um,
1: and the ejaculate um, comes. And so everybody can do that. And I think it's a really powerful thing to learn because it puts you in that state of flow. And it's so healing for everything from like your own um, reproductive health to your own voice. Cause as we know, our voice is connected to our pussy. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with that, it's like the urge to pee. The one little tip, I guess. Um, and I've, you know, learned all this, like I said, from my teacher, Deborah Sandal, who's like a crone. She's been teaching about this since I was born, like for yeah. 40 years. You can find her book. Um, and it's it's the urge to pee is the urge to ejaculate. Yeah. So a really great way to start getting into that practice is just to pee before you practice, before you self-pleasure or before you're, you know, gonna have sex. And um when you have that urge to pee as opposed to holding it in, you actually let it out and you see mm. what happens. And sometimes that awareness alone, like I've had friends who I've told that to who are like, Oh my God, I I thought I was doing it before, but like now it's am like really like I'm like there's more of a gush than like a little trickle. Cause it's just we were taught to hold everything in anyway, but yeah. even this, yes, right? Because obviously you're like, Oh, I don't want to pee on somebody, but it's it's not pee. I mean, there's traces of urine and whatever, but it's not. It's different. You could smell it. You can taste yeah. it. It's totally different. The ejaculate yeah. comes from a vagina is not pee. So yeah, there's a way that I really think getting in touch with all that it brings us into a more spiritual experience in our body. Yeah, in reality that we're sharing together in these physical forms.
0: Totally. Did you always squirt, or did you only squirt did. after Deborah's class?
1: No, I, I was somebody who always did, but I had a lot of shame around it. Yeah. Um, I think I did it uncontrollably when I was younger and I can remember a specific, um, instance where you know i had sex with this guy and i was drunk or whatever you know when i was like 16 or something or 17 i don't know and i remember him being like oh you pissed the like he thought i like that uh-huh. and i remember just being mortified and i had no idea right like, right. like the reason why i teach adult sex education now is because we didn't have that i didn't have mm-hmm. that most people like even the g spot the female prostate was erased from anatomy books in the Victorian age so it's like literally doesn't it because it's there for pleasure and it's there you know to actually aid the, yeah. the process of our flow um so i held a lot of shame around it so for me it was a very uncomfortable process of feeling some of that shame which you know yeah. wasn't new to me but was new in a certain way where i was like wow yeah like and then it was just a whole it just brought me on this whole other layer of my journey around my sexuality, which as we all know is so deep and is endless and is infinite gender and sexuality and all its full spectrum is it's so deep for all of us. And and we all carry, I think on some level, some shame around it. And I definitely do and, and have around my sexuality being queer and, and also primarily dating men throughout my life. Um, and just getting myself into a lot of really unhealthy situations, you know, I've just had a lot of shame around my sexuality. So yeah. my reclamation around that in a physical form has been really helpful for me to be able to trust myself and trust what I have to say um, and not just get completely lost in other people's ideas and projections of me. Yes.
0: Yes. That's so, so beautiful. I feel like it's it's something that when I was in the queer scene, specifically lesbian scene in Brooklyn, when I was dating women and in that world, we talked about our sexuality or sex often. Mm-hmm. So I remember being at a dinner party um, a really, a well-known erotica writer, lesbian erotica writer's home. And um, the roommate of my girlfriend at the time was like, so Alexander's a big squirter, huh? And I remember I was mortified and I got really mad at both of them. And like, I had a whole sensitive process. However, Over time, I became accustomed to this is actually a different culture, like I hadn't been a part of the queer or lesbian culture. And so I actually was taken aback by that level of transparency at dinner. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know now. I mean, boundaries are good people. We, We need them in certain moments, of course. But there was something about that time in my life that I, we were able to talk about those things. And I'm not sure if it was because it was primarily female body people, butch people and some trans people as well. But um, I'm not sure if it's because it was such a safe space that you could talk at dinner and go, you could go, oh my God, I got like this crazy, um, you know, amazing sex toy. And like, I just remember having them, the, I felt so safe and so at home because I didn't have to leave this huge part of me out it wasn't just like my sexuality is only reserved for a private time behind closed doors we can't talk about it and yeah. it's interesting because as i started dating men again i found that happening yeah. i'm like we don't yeah. talk about no our sexuality together right. and i get that because because you know there's these masculine feminine dynamics and there's safety and there's collective wounding and so yeah. that brings me to a question that i wanted to ask you like what is your take on masculine feminine polarity because it's a big kind of thing in the, in the spiritual world. Um, and it would probably be one reason why I wouldn't talk about how much I love to squirt at dinner with my, you know, 49 year old partner and his, you know, male right. friends of the same age and who are dads or whatever, like right. because it's an inappropriate thing, but it wasn't inappropriate with a bunch of queers.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love that and why queers are so important. <laughs> <laughs> of all, I mean, one of the many reasons why I'm like, oh, please. <laughs> please, we need that. We need you so bad and, and, and your wisdom and and everything that you carry, you Right. Know, lead um, us
0: into the new lands. We powerful. love you. Thank like you.
1: This, this head, everything about it is just horrific from my perspective. So I'll try to answer this, um, in a generous and uplifting way as much as possible, but I don't think it's that uplifting generally, right. Right. you know? Our, our reality as you know if you're in any sort of cishet or even perceived relationships it's you know it's anyway it's it's difficult um so I love what you just shared so much Alexandra I think it's so powerful to hear those two different dynamics and part of why I think I like to learn I like learning about this for myself is because then when I'm out with my couple my friends who are a couple like you know they're married and you know and I'm like well, this is what I'm doing. Like, let's, you know, right. it's like, a, it's a way to talk about it without being like, like, you yeah, like it's a way to talk about it. And then all of a sudden they're having that experience and they're like, wow, you know what, after you talked about that, like we started having, you know, she starts like ejaculating so much more. And then like, I went through this thing and, you know, and so it's kind right. of like, well, like, I sometimes secretly feel like so many of the things I do on my own internal work is just so I can like, Shift these different ways. Right. That play, right. Like you're the, not
0: going at dinner. You're not going, Oh my God, I had, I squirted so much yesterday that like no. I went through the sheets You're saying, Oh, I teach sexuality, adult yes. sex education. And right? then they and can ask questions. Right. And
1: then it's like a doorway in. Right. Cause yeah, it's not like I'm like, Oh, yeah, I remember. And like, my partner and I do feel like that. Like we're just like, Oh my God. Like it's, we do try to talk about sex when we hang out with our other, especially couple friends because it's just, you're so alone in your journey and you guys do you talk with cis hetero couples I mean, we, yeah, we try. I mean, a lot of our friends aren't necessary. I mean, they're oftentimes queer as well, you know, yeah. they're in CISHET, you know, um, partnerships. So it's a little bit easier because I think what you said is true. And there is those, there are those threads of like, Oh no, we do talk about this or, you know, right. they're definitely more open-minded people. It would, you know, and then there's other people that maybe we wouldn't, but yeah, I do feel like talking about things and bringing things out into the air and, and letting there be more of a sex positive um, you know, way of, of communicating. I just think it's so important, but we do obviously need these safe s- places also, right. right. At least to yeah. start where, like you yes. said, it's not safe to just like present something vulnerable no. to a room full of people that you don't know. I mean, it literally. Especially a just, bunch
0: of men, you know, honestly. Yeah.
1: No, it's just not the thing to do. So it's like to have these other spaces where you can start to safely share these things. Right. Um, And, and for me, that oftentimes happens in, more professional settings or why I hold the small circles I do around this work, because it gives people the opportunity to then to share in a safe space. And then, you know, because a lot of times we don't even share with our partners, some of these things, or it just right. gets difficult when you start to share yeah, your partner because they have feelings and, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's not just like, you have to navigate, you know, like, okay, this is time for my feelings, <laughs> and not you. Right.
0: And they're like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Are you trying to tell me you want me to, you're expecting me to do that with you now? Like, are you saying you don't like what I'm doing right now already? Like, it's just a can of words. It's just like anything. And coming to your question around the
1: masculine and feminine polarities, I think that some of that work is really useful. And I think it puts a lot of emphasis on the the partnership itself that I don't in this moment think is super realistic for a lot of people, meaning like it assumes that both partners are going to want to sit down and like do all this deep work together, like every week. (laughs) And like my partner and I are both like spiritual teachers and we're really into intimacy and healing. And we're both on our incredible own solo journeys of evolution. And I don't even want to do that sometimes. I don't either. It's I don't want to process want to. all the time. I don't want it. So I think sometimes, yeah. and the way that I was taught it traditionally is that you know there are these masculine and feminine, feminine energies within us, right? So right. when we're working with those polarities within, I do think that that is super valuable because it does give us that sense yeah. of wholeness. And for me, it's more like it's complex. It's so complex. And how do we kind of work with those dynamics in the relationship? I think in certain moments, it's been helpful to be like, okay, you're going to sit like Shiva and I'm going to like, ah, breathe and be like the Shakti. And like, then we're going to fuck. But like that has that kind of, that happens naturally, actually like these practices, just like any mantra, just like any, any practice, it comes from an experience that was a natural thing. So right. I really- it's valuable for people to figure out for themselves right like what's the natural thing here for me like how do I get turned on and then how do I teach my partner like what what I want to know and a lot of us have resistance because we're like oh we're so bored of teaching people shit and whatever but I just think it's if that if you're choosing to be with somebody you you want to prioritize your and theirs and and you want to start these conversations
0: so the and also I just want to interrupt you and also to know that it's not something you have to do all the time like yes. you just said it in a sexual moment or a sexual like you want to have sex and so or maybe he wants to have sex if you're in that kind of a relationship and so yeah. he does sort of you know turn into that more shiva like present being and you might just feel it in your belly and start to move and dance but yeah. um doing that all the time and trying to maintain oh i'm in my feminine i'm in my goddess all the time yeah. that is where i see people kind of like i'm like i don't know i don't know if that's the right direction for everybody <laughs> i don't think I definitely don't think it is cuz yeah. it's
1: not for me so like when something isn't the right thing for me i'm like okay i'm really aware that that's not going to be the right thing for everybody cuz yeah. for me any level of intimacy that I've opened to in my relationship has come from this really annoying, but super amazing thing that happens, which is called like me getting so in touch with my own masculine and becoming that safe protector for this deep vulnerability of my feminine, for this deep feeling, for this deep desire. It's like, it happens within me before it happens in my relationship with my partner. Ooh, not that
0: everybody is like
1: this. Some people have this weird thing where they meet that person. And then that person somehow does all that. That has not been my experience either. because I'm really here to be. I'm not saying, I don't want to say that because I don't want to say those people aren't sovereign beings. I'm sure they are in their own ways. But for me, it's like, this is also my work. So like, right. I have to learn it from the inside because yeah. I'm a healer. And so, it's like, I can learn certain things on the outside, but, and my partner of course teaches me things as well. Right. And is you, you know, like here, this is what you're not seeing. I'm like, great. Thanks. I'll take that to therapy, like whatever, but like it's happening more between the masculine and feminine within me. Yeah. And I really feel like I can't be in my full feminine being, which I really am. If I'm not acknowledging my masculine, cause my masculine is a tremendous amount of power. The presence that actually holds space for people is coming from yeah. that place. I'm not uh, lost by feminine when I'm helping people. No way you, I'm like holding tremendous presence and tremendous, like it's awareness, clarity, direction. Yeah. The yes. Masculine has has been intense because it was very abusive because of my lineage. So that's been its whole own journey, you know? Yeah.
0: I think it's really important for you know, anyone on a healing journey. If you want to call it healing with your masculine healing with your feminine whatever it is, but finding that internal protector, that Mm -hmm. internal dad, right? Even, um, I mean, I hear the voice, I don't know if it's, you know, dad in particular, but it could be like also a kind mom, but I speak to myself from that. Like my love, you need to put the ice cream down now, or it's time to close the computer. You know, like I parent myself all the time. Um, and So you mentioned something to me earlier about how your father wound relates to your sexuality. Do you want to touch on that as we sort of move towards closing? (laughs) Okay, fine. Um, Yes. So... just let's just end on a really light note so fluffy it's all light like to me like I always say like people like high vibe low
1: vibe I'm like the truth is the highest vibration you know and I think like there is no like we can go exactly I love that answer it's truth it's high to me so and that's otherwise you know I'm yeah it's not a high vibe so so to me there's no problem but you know I think my relationship to the abandonment wound um within my own being and how it's connected to my sexuality again is very complex I think all of our sexuality is very complex so it's not something I can completely answer in a couple minutes but to just touch on maybe some of the main points would be that what you just said Alexandra of like the reparenting process right and and the way that you know to really feel safe to like let go into that you know, what's cool about the G-spot orgasm it, is that it's not just like, ah, 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 you know, it's not that kind of like, ah, ah, it's like in the garden at the fucking moon and you're just like, I can
0: you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what the Jesus. If Adriana
0: was in when Harry met Sally, which I rewatched recently, you yeah. know, there's this scene where she does an orgasm in public. This is it. This is it. It's yeah. massive growling and howling. Mine is a lot of screaming. Like it definitely sounds like I'm getting, you know, I don't know. I wonder sometimes if the neighbors are going to call nine one one.
1: Oh no, we've had my our neighbor was yeah. After, shortly after i moved in with my partner we had an incident with our neighbor who was like so i'm really <laughs> happy for you guys but our bedroom windows are like really we're like oh my oh. god i was like you're welcome you know um because she's older and whatever and her and her bless her heart for being <laughs> very <laughs> honest
0: she's honest
1: and like take some of that orgasmic energy why don't you so yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that the the inner child healing and and it's kind of it's weird because like you know to put these things together, but it's like to really surrender. Like we have to have if we're becoming conscious, because there's ways of surrendering through our trauma bodies um, that actually makes us like we have no boundaries, right? So right boundaries I can surrender to sex and orgasm and all types of situations and it's no problem but as we become more conscious some of us those kinds of things start to actually we're like oh wait I'm just kind of re-traumatizing myself through this experience and so what is really what is really true here you know and again it's complex it's not black and white it's not like oh your partner's never going to trigger your childhood wounding. And that means the, you're in the conscious partnership. That's not how it is. So it's complex. But when we start to be able to see like, wow, I do need a certain level of of healing around my abandonment wound and on on the ways that I haven't felt protected by a father by an absolute love, even by God, right? So much of our God wound, we were taught like God is the father. You know, if you come up, some of us, like we're raised Catholic and, you know, it's, it's horrific, you know, cause you're just like, what, this doesn't make any sense. I don't have a dick, you know, like what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so, so really working with that, that father wound, even in that bigger way, I, I really feel like, it, it welcomes our sexuality into the room because it's just a part of who we are, right? And we can't we can't fully embrace, I think, um, on some level, our our wild, wild feminine essence, you know, without having something to lean into that is steady, you know. And for me, it began on an energetic level, like in a tantric way, like connecting to Shiva, you know, feeling like the mountain behind my body in India, uh-huh. and then my yes, totally oh, this mountain is my father. And like, is the essence of love itself that is not going to move. And like, I'm going to lean into that. And through there, everything opens in me. Right. And so it's like, there, there are these ways, and I'm talking more on a mystical level about the father. Right. And then on a psychological level, I just think if you have, which I think a lot of people do on some level, some sort of father wound. I mean, I think we all have father wounds and mother wounds, obviously, but that element of reclaiming the father within you and becoming the father, right? Like the book I'm writing is like so much about like becoming my own father Mm -hmm. and relating to my father in the afterlife and how a healed masculine, you know, provides so much permission for all of our freedom, all of our wildness, all of who we are, right. That we can't Mm -hmm. totally, I don't think expect another human being to hold for us hundred percent of the time. I just don't think it's actually fair because we're all human. So how do we create these other places where we can actually experience that and then have our lives, you know, um, really reflecting the freedom aspect, right? Like I could bring the freedom of my sexuality to my relationship because I'm working on some of those things outside of the relationship as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love the part that you said about just leaning into the mountainside and I have, it's helped me so much to work with the divine masculine energy, um, in meditation, just to feel that feeling of being held in a way that I deeply crave, which me, my partner can do some of the time, but you know, that I think is like, when I read all these books about like, Attracting the partner and the conscious man, and I'm like, he's not going to be conscious all the time. Like he has things to do. He's not always just going to be there, ready to like hold you while you're falling apart and be like, "Here, my love, let me stroke your head. You're safe yeah. now." Like,
1: no, and if you're also queer, forget about it. You know, like right. my partner has feminine too, and so totally, I- really triggering. You know, to be like, oh, yeah. I. Have to be- the masculine with a man that's in his feminine. Like, I mean, come on, like, this is insane, you know, so yeah. for us, it's much more fluid. So, you know, it's more interesting too, I think, you know, there's I also positive-
0: too, And I'm like, come lay on my chest, cry. Like I, I'm, I have a lot of energy to hold. I got you, even though you might be bigger physically, like, let me hold you, you know, the process of vulnerability
1: and intimacy. Yeah for all of us, because we're all scared of it. So we have all these ways of, you know, protecting ourselves from it. And so to really come into the stance of partnership and of understanding both, you know, who we are separate from that, but also who we are inside of these relational dynamics, I think is, is it's necessary at this point of our evolution, right? Because we can experience God. I mean, you can experience God in all types of ways, but how do we really allow that energy of, of love that God energy, God is love to be infiltrated in more and more of our experiences of life, you know, and in, in the day to day. And like you said, nobody's conscious. It's like the best you can have is that somebody will be there for you and show up for you most of the time. Like, yeah. got, cause it also how ha- we can't put that pressure on ourselves. I know no I, put, way. we got, I've got some I'm booked and busy with all kinds of stuff I'm going through. Right. It's like, you have to, we also need to give ourselves permission that we can't not going to show up perfectly anyway. And I think that's why a lot of people hold back from being like a lot of people I work with and that I empower to be their own healers and to hold space for others. They're so scared to do it because there's all this like ideas out there that you need to like, you're going to harm people and you're going to, it's like, yeah, well, first of all, you need to get over the fact that you are going to harm people on some level, if you're a human being and like, that's like why we get support and we have support, so we can hold integrity. But we also need to be able to say, you know what, I fucked up. I didn't, I didn't show up. Like I, yeah. I, up, I just couldn't. Like, and I'm sorry. And you know, yeah, I'm gonna keep working. Yeah. Like that's that's like most of my relationship. <laughs> it's like you know what, you're right. I couldn't do it, and I'm sorry. And like you know what, I'm really working on it, and and not just saying that, but like loving myself in that. moment. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, great. And I just. I've seen you do that a lot Alexandra you know throughout this following you you know we don't talk a lot personally just here and there but just following what you're sharing um on social media around your journey of partnership I've seen you love yourself through that so much and I just mm-hmm. want to really say that that's so huge and it's so deep because it's um, really not easy to do that and and I just I've seen you do it a lot and I I've admired and and also been inspired by that oh, process thank you it's not easy to do that and it's sh- we also then we think it should be because we're like we're empowered women but it's like uh no uh, it's really deep to be like i love myself more than you can love me right now and that's okay you know yeah. Or, yeah like you
0: know what i mean like it's it's deep so yeah yeah it's a whole nother journey we didn't really even get into that today but that's okay okay so to end yes. Two questions. Um, what are some good books that you're reading right now and who's inspiring you like out in, you know, in the world right now, online, offline, doesn't matter.
1: The books that I'm reading right now, um, I'm listening to the audiobook of a book I've already read, um, by one of my very dear friends and mentors, um, called wild mercy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, by stars. She's a very dear person to my, to me. Um, so good. I'm listening to the audiobook which is so good. And like, it's just, if you're a feminine, it just like feels, it heals
0: so much. Like everything we just talked about, it's like, Oh my God, she it's takes. So it. good. It's so good. I want to have her on the podcast. And I loved that book. And then I bought it for my mom. And then I bought it for moon. And then I was just like, I have to buy this book for all the women I know
1: yes, and her voice and her journey. It's so special, but yeah, yeah. um I'll send you both an email because you should definitely have her on here when she can. She's thank you. Um, so I'm re re-listening to that. Um, what else am I reading right now? One of my friends, um Chelsea, um just came out with a book called Poems and Peonies. And that's oh, another cool. book because I'm definitely really into poetry and Chelsea, I'm- what's her last name? So we can Diane. Yeah, you can look it up, but she Chelsea just- Diane. Yeah, and it's called Poems and Peonies. Um, it's a, po- a book of poetry. And um yeah, so I've been kind of making my way through that as well. Nice, but there's so many, and um I love poems and poetry and, and all the things I'm just always sharing it. Cause I feel like we need it so badly. So we, do.
0: we need it so bad. Um, who are the people that are inspiring you right now? There, they can be dead alive. Doesn't matter.
1: There's a teacher. Like, so two people, the first two people that come to my mind, um, is a teacher named Parvati Bell who I oh God, yeah. was on retreat with. Um, she's, A very powerful um, teacher of the bowel tradition, um, which is very like, very uh, like against the stream kind of God is within you type of uh, Mm -hmm. spiritual practice and work. And she's just an amazing being, but she's also a singer and her voice does this thing where it takes you to places that you've known existed, but have never been, you know, those oh kinds God. of, I wish I could have been there with you guys. Follow her voice. It like, and I live for that. Like as an artist, I'm just like, I live, that's why I love India. Like we're going back to yeah. India. It's like, I live for like, I could have never made this shit up. Like I didn't, I knew on some level that like, this could be real, but like, I didn't know how to get there. And like, you just took me there or like going wow. to, to me, it's like,
0: whoa like this is madness and amazing (laughs) and you can find her on spotify because an ex-boyfriend of mine introduced me to her work like four years ago and was like you are going to love this music and so you can just even though you're not at her concert you can just put her music on lay on the floor close your eyes go somewhere i
1: just like feel like the the pure devotion the pure bhakti which is like is devotion. Like it's pure feminine, like Shakti energy. And it's amazing. And she's, yeah. she's also a really beautiful person. Um, we hosted her and had her at her house. So she's somebody who's very inspiring to me because she's just deeply devoted to God. Yeah. And I'm mostly inspired by people that are deeply devoted to God in their own unique way. Um, yeah. not a whole lot of other things that inspire me, but the other two people that come up, um, are, is a saint, so Saint Teresa of Avila. Who that's right. that, that shakti experience I had in the temple. After that, many years later, Mirabai was somebody I was reaching out to, and I was begging her to be my teacher. And she was like, "Well, why don't you just call me when you need it?" Like she's not somebody who's like, "I'm going right. to be a teacher." And I was like, "Please, somebody teach me. I'm dying over here." But that's the journey of the feminine. You know, you got to yeah, go yeah yeah yeah. You know, the goddess is like, "Bitch, like nature's your teacher, the gurus in you." And you're like, "I knew that, but this is so painful." I, didn't I know. know so, anyway, I learned about Saint Teresa of Avila through Mirror by Star and when I first started looking her up, I saw this image of her, um, and there's this depiction of her being shot in the heart with an arrow, and <gasps> it's this, and she, Saint Teresa of Avila, tells the story of having this experience, which is the same. What I had of being shot in the heart and going into this ecstasy that was so powerful Ooh. that it was also painful. Uh-huh. And when I learned this, I was just like, you know, you have these mystical experiences and you, you know, even if you're a mystical person, you still kind of doubt it a little bit. Cause you kind of right, 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 right. feeling, feeling crazy or whatever. And so when I, I, and so that's part of why I'm going to Italy. I mean, I have, you know, to do my ancestral work there, but also to go to Rome because there's this, um, that statue is there. And so I want to just keep like, that transmission a little bit of her and she's like in this ecstatic state. So oh I'm really connecting to, um, yeah. St. Teresa of Avila. I mean, she was a Spanish um, mystic and poet, but um, that, that essence of just like really deeply devoted to what we can't see, like being in this relationship with the mystery. um, Yeah. So healing to me.
0: Oh, so good. Thank you so much for coming on today. Tell us what you've got going on and how people can find you and interact with you and learn from your wisdom. We always have things going on. Um, right now, you can find us at
1: bodytemple.church. Um, but, you know, I lead movement and dance and we do retreats and all types of things. Um, and I do, you know, private coaching work with people, but definitely Instagram at Art of Loving. You can always find me there or message me if you have questions about anything things we talked about or wanted to share what what stood yeah. out to you, I really I do my work for people. I don't do my work for me entirely. I really, although yeah. that's it. Um, I really love hearing people's experience and I really love knowing what what lands for people and what resonates. I do and-
0: too. Like you guys, you can always DM me. And don't be afraid. I'm a manifestor. So apparently people are a little bit more intimidated by my aura, but don't be yeah, message me message. Adriana, we have good boundaries. So if you message us a hundred times, we're really good at boundaries. We'll be fine. Totally fine. And I totally kind of love it. I have the same thing. It's funny that you said that about the
1: manifester Cause I also have that. I think it's so much of the solar energy. It does kind of yeah, I, I could see how that would make that. Cause sometimes I feel like, why is that? Cause then when people meet me or they talk to me and they're like, Oh my God, of course I could talk to you. I'm like, yeah, obviously like, that's what I think. I'm like, I'm so
0: approachable. What do you mean?
1: <laughs> I want to know your experience. It's so cool to me. And, and it's so powerful, just as powerful as all the things I learn in my somatic trauma trainings. And it's just as, it's just as interesting and as powerful and transformative for me to hear what someone else's direct experience is, you know, it's, yeah. it's to me.
0: Me too. Always. I love it. Um, And in the digital world, it's like, that's connection. So if you just passively listen to a podcast or take in a a post or something, then we're not connecting. You're just being in the role you know in the role of of passively taking and i like to feel the connection you know just like any artist if you're on stage or you're teaching a class you get fed by the energy of the people receiving you it's just such a magical thing which makes me so happy that we have more in-person things coming up so find adriana at art of loving she'll have all kinds of things and goodies and deliciousness for you there and i'm so happy to have you on the podcast Thank you Alexandra. all for listening and we'll see you again soon Ciao Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast For more, more, more follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies and if this podcast has touched your heart please let us know please write us a review give us a 5 star rating all that It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.